0: Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done.
1: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World headquarters in New York.
0: And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is a special edition of Bloomberg Technology coming to you live from the Bloomberg Technology Summit. And Caroline, what a way to start. Man of the moment, really. Sam Altman, OpenAI CEO. So much to recap, but at the top level, saying we need global regulation Mm. with a, a capability threshold. Things will go wrong in AI, but the future's bright from a technology perspective.
2: Ultimately, seemingly optimistic also some clarity really around his own motivating forces, wanting to make impact, wanting to further technology for good and really sort of seemingly at at odds with why humanity, why most people really want to know why he has not much skin in the game financially. He seems to be saying, look, he's going to make money in the future, don't you worry about it. Also, I thought the interesting perspective on China and Russia and the fact that ultimately he doesn't have great insight there at the moment either.
0: Me too. The theme of the Bloomberg Technology Summit is the turning point. And Sam Altman talks about how little we know about what's going on in China in the field of artificial intelligence, but he also framed this as the biggest step yeah. for mankind in terms of technology. And I really think that's going to be a discussion here all day long.
2: Yeah, we've got more AI discussion coming right up. Bloomberg Technology Summit is still going on. Emily Chang and Brad Stone are now sitting down. Reid Hoffman of Greylock and co-founder of DeepMind, now CEO of Inflection AI, (laughs) Mustafa Suleiman. Let's listen in.
3: Brands for digital influencers. Our belief is that everyone is also going to have a personal AI, one that is aligned to your interests, on your team, in your corner, gets to know you, and really forms a trusted relationship with you over time. It'll be like a confidant, a conciliary, there for you when you need to make tough decisions, but also a chief of staff, you know, scheduling, organizing, prioritizing, booking, um, your AI is really going to be your digital representative, you know, negotiating on your behalf, interacting with other sales AIs that are trying to you know, encourage you to buy something and helping you to you know, get a great
4: deal. And like, for example, it's the whole set of things. So like, For example, one of the things I just found out yesterday is one of our team members at Greylock Actually, in fact, is using Pi for parenting advice. Oh, cool, right? Which is really awesome, and that's the kind of thing where you're like, great. <laughs> but Reid, why is this
5: an opportunity for a startup? Isn't a Microsoft or a Google bar just a little closer to the customer and in a better position to offer that personal digital assistant?
4: Well, part of what's—I mean, you know, obviously, I—I I am on the board of Microsoft. Um, and you know, is on the board of OpenAI, and part of the thing is what I love about startups is that you have a unique vision where you're unfettered by the other aspects of your business, and you're building it. So, part of the idea that Mustafa and the entire Inflexion team, uh, you know, kind of came up with, and you know, I, uh, you know, have a little bit of fingerprints here too, is that IQ is not the only thing that matters here. EQ matters as well. And so, how do you have this personal intelligence, PI? be helpful to you, obviously very high-end you know, IQ, but also EQ, and that was one of the reasons I used the parenting example, because obviously there's a question of how you do it, but it's also how you connect with people, what, what you do in order to, to amplify that, and I think that's one of the things that um, you know, the inflection folks are doing better than everyone else.
6: So can we talk about the EQ thing because I was asking, I asked Pi what we should ask you. Its questions were fine. And then I was like, are you gonna tell them that we had this conversation? And it, it responded, ha ha, I'm just a computer program. I can't tell anyone anything, but I assure you our conversations are confidential. I do think it's pretty cool that we're having this meta conversation about your interview with my creators, That's Asian
1: point.
6: And it was actually the personality that shocked me. Can you explain how you designed
3: that? I mean, we've deliberately designed it to be patient, curious, kind. One of the things that first struck us like a year and a half ago when we started working on this is like what makes for great conversation when do you feel that sense of flow uh, and that sense of energy and connection with another, another person. And I think most of the time it's when you feel heard and understood uh, you've received a little bit of affirmation, but you know it's not completely sycophantic, right? It doesn't just agree with you at every moment. It can be a little bit challenging. It has boundaries, so you can push it on certain topics, and it'll take a position, and that's really healthy. But also, it's just curious. You know, I mean, I think many people are excited by the idea, especially the users that we have, of someone asking them lots of questions about the topic that they're interested in. You know, we don't always have someone in our lives who is as knowledgeable and as passionate about our favorite topics um, as we might like. And so that's where Pi comes in, because it's super knowledgeable and and engaging.
6: So it sounds like a competitor to ChatGPT. Is it a competitor to ChatGPT? And how does that make sense if you're also an investor in OpenAI?
4: Well, so... It, I think there's going to be a number of agents. I don't think there's going to be one agent to rule them all, you know, a, a ring in Mordor.
6: Uh, but is ChatGPT going to rule most of us? I mean...
4: No, I don't think so. I think that, I mean, it's partially, it's, it's, it's like... Um, the same reason we talk to different people for different aspects of our lives, right? So, you know, this person we talk to about our, our our passion about snowboarding. This person we talk to about what's going on in the country. This person we talk to, like, we have a pantheon. Same thing we'll have a pantheon of, of different kinds of, of AI. One will go, um, you know, you ask ChatGPT, you know, how do you, uh, you know, comfort a friend Who's uh, lost a treasured pet, and says, "Here are five possible ways you might do that." <laughs> you ask Pi, and say, like, "Oh, that's, that sounds like it's really hard for you and your friend." You know your friend well. What would count as being present there for your friend, and it still has it has the IQ, it has the five reasons, but it goes through that style of going through it. And I think these are different interaction experiences. And the question is, which one do you want? this minute, which one do you want more in your life, you know, that kind of thing. And, and part of the, 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 the design of Pi is, how do we help you be the best you? Right, like it's, it, 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 and it, that doesn't mean by being sycophantic, for example. That's the question of, you know, like ask you questions about, well, what do you think about this? And, and how do you go through it and help you navigate your life by being helpful in that way? Mm. So Sam Altman was just on stage uh, talking, as he sometimes does, about the
5: theoretical dangers of, of AGI and, and chat GPT-9. And I, I'm just curious if you guys think generally that's a discussion worth having and where you each are on this spectrum of existential
4: dangers from AI well let's start with the fact that one of the things that i think is a, is is dangerous about the existential discussion is it it blinds us from some of the, the nearer things which is uh, ai's AI amplification intelligence as per the impromptu book and so it amplifies human beings And so we see a bunch of good things with human beings. Uh, AI tutors, AI doctors, a bunch of other things. There's also bad human beings. And so what to do about bad human beings doing you know, with AI is also part of the portfolio mix of how you shape this technology. That's one of the reasons why Mustafa's uh, book, The Coming Wave, I highly recommend. Um, uh, and I will hand the next part of the answer over to you. <laughs> and wait, let me frame it, though, Mustafa. <laughs>
5: Sam's Sam probably left the building by now. <laughs> so, you can say anything frankly, you want. <laughs> like, where do you kind of disagree with some of the alarmism notes that he has sounded?
3: Look, I, I think it's easy to speculate around what a GPT-9 might look like. I mean, you know, six more orders of magnitude of compute would be eye-watering, and. I'm absolutely with those concerns around existential risk. But if you play that out, that is many, many years, and it is you know, unclear what actually happens at that scale. What's much more clear and you know, a lot of the themes I explore in the new book is that in the near term, we're about to empower many, many people, if not ultimately everybody, with access to the ability to amplify their existing power. Right? This is not just a knowledge engine, but in time, it'll allow you to take actions. Right? You'll be able to make recommendations, buy things, book things and that's gonna get smaller and cheaper and therefore proliferate far and wide. That is gonna cause a dramatic instability and potentially a threat to the nation state because anyone who has an agenda or is trying to sort of push a political outcome is suddenly gonna see the barrier to entry to that kind of scaled impact lowered. And so there's going to be a real question around how states kind of manage that distribution of power. And I think there'll be a tendency to lunge towards, you know, slightly more authoritarian, more surveillance-based mechanisms Mm -hmm. to prevent that proliferation, Mm -hmm. which would both be bad for innovation and obviously dystopian from a political governance perspective.
6: So hang on, because, and Sam and I were talking backstage as well, and he's, you know, he's much more confident that AI will lead us to a more equal world than an unequal world. Are you saying that there's a better chance of economic dislocation and social dislocation as a result of this technology?
3: So both are likely to be true, actually, which is a little bit surprising. But if you look back over the last 50 years, The transistor, the last wave which enabled the personal computer, has clearly made us in many ways more equal. Whether you're a billionaire or you earn $20,000 a year, we all get access to the same cutting-edge hardware. The smartphone and the laptop is broadly at the cutting edge and everyone else will catch up over the next five to ten years. We're on the same trajectory with respect to access to intelligence and that is an unbelievable idea. Over the next decade, hundreds of millions of people and then billions of people will get access to the same expert doctor, the same expert educator, the same tool for scheduling, prioritizing, organizing your life. That is going to be the most meritocratic moment in the history of our species, for sure. It is a question around how individuals and groups and organizations use that power, right? Because clearly we all have conflicting agendas and priorities and goals. And that's basically where I think that we end up with significant disruption. Okay, Reed, but that's the glass half full. I mean, what is the potential
5: threat to the millions of coders, of customer service representatives, the job dislocation, the people who are serving Jobs whose functions can be
4: easily replaced by AI.
6: Your LinkedIn hat on <laughs> too.
4: Um, so uh, the, the closest metaphor that I've come to use to describe this uh, moment is it's a steam engine of the mind. Um, if you look at this, the former steam engine, uh, you know, current steam engine, although obviously ma- majorly amplified, um, industrial evolution gave us superpower of muscles, superpower of transport, superpower of con- construction, all these things. Now we're going to have superpowers of the mind. Now, there's a whole bunch of, of, of very positive things that come out of that. I mean, all of the things we have uh, come, of, 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 of the increase in wealth that allows medicine, general education, everything else comes out of the Industrial Revolution. I think the same thing will be coming out of the steam engine of the mind. The, but the transition is going to be difficult. Um, the transition is going to be, okay, well, uh, customer service jobs are going to change a whole lot. Um, now, engineers, I think, you know, look, you, if you roughly kind of go through a company and you go, well, we 10X each function, you say you're 10X salespeople, great. So, want to hire more salespeople, want to hire more sales. So 10x marketing people. It's like, okay, maybe the marketing function will change some, so less order entry, more thinking about it, but you're still in a business competitive ecosystem. You don't want to stop marketing or, or not be, be doing it. When you get to customer service, you get more replacement. But here's part of the thing that I, part of the reason why I did the book impromptu and I'm trying to orient people is like, okay, so customer service people, there's going to be a transition. Well, AI can help with that. You can build AIs that help figure out other kinds of work and jobs that can help you find them, that can help you learn them, that can help you do them. And so that's the thing that we as a society need to be doing. So it's like less like how do we slow down AI? How do we shape it to help the broad swath of humanity in this transition? Mm-hmm. That's where I'm trying to get the dialogue and discussion to.
6: Mustafa, um, we we were just talking to Sam about uh, Google and whether or not it's still scary, and he's like, yeah, they're still formidable. Um, You quit DeepMind and Google AI, and obviously a lot of people have have left Google. Is there something wrong at Google or some sort of innovator's dilemma there that will prevent it from truly succeeding on generative AI because it undermines its own business model?
3: Look, fundamentally... AI stands in tension with Google's existing business model. It's very hard to eat yourself from within and adapt and respond to the coming wave. So for a while, Google was just idling. You know, I was there. On Lambda, we had ChatGPT before ChatGPT. It was just like a remarkable feeling, internally playing with this incredible tool and not really being able to get it out into products. It took you know, the launch of ChatGPT to kind of threaten Google and really shake everything up, and you know, Google's a very formidable and, you know, you know, organization full of super smart people. So I'm, I, I'm sure they'll be just fine, but I can understand why they're stuck, because nobody wants a personal AI in your pocket that is actually funded by ads, right? You don't, you don't want a salesman in your pocket that is trying to persuade you to go and buy more or do X, Y, Z. You need fiduciary alignment, right? Your AI has to be on your team, and that means ultimately you have to pay for it. And if somebody else is paying for it, you have to ask yourself, what are they trying to persuade you of? Are they trying to influence you in some way? And I think people are alive to that now, and that's a real challenge for Google because it's very unclear how they're gonna manage this transition.
6: So we asked Sam if Google scares him. Does open AI scare you? Mustafa
3: first, then you. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> no, it definitely doesn't. I mean, actually, this morning, uh, we've announced our new large language model called Inflection One, and we set out to build a model that was fast enough and more capable than every other model on the market for our compute class. So we're very proud that, you know, a year on from our launch, we're now better than Llama. ChatGPT, Palm540, Chinchilla, all of the other models of our size, and that's super important because it powers Pi and ultimately it will be available as a conversational API. So you can obviously play with it at pi.ai now. And you know I think that demonstrates that with a team of 35 people, uh, you know, in a pretty short order, we're able to exceed the cutting edge and now build an absolute best-in-class AI, which is very exciting. And obviously we've also managed to do that because we've been able to gather a huge amount of capital and some great investors and uh, train. In fact, what we now have is the largest operational cluster in the world of H100s, NVIDIA's latest chip. Um, And that's a huge advantage.
4: Okay, and and one of the things because I I was listening to your conversation with Sam, and you know it's obviously an awkward question when you ask him. It's like, well, should we trust you? Because mm-hmm. it's like, yes, trust me. It's like, well, that's weird because if he someone says said,
6: no, you shouldn't. I, <laughs> yes. I was, I was like, what? If
4: someone says yes, trust me. You're like, well, <laughs> wait a minute. But look, I, uh, the OpenAI people are really great people. I think it's it's governed by a 501c3. There's frequently a bunch of FUD uh, social media stuff that 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 um, kind of obscures that. Um, I you know has spent a number of years on the board and in 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 Team. I still work with them and help them. Um, they are fully paying attention to every serious question. I mean, like, for example, there Sam went and spent a month. It's crazy. You're doing a startup. It's spent a month doing a world tour, talking to people, Say, look, I'm here. You can talk to me about your concerns. I want to make sure it's good for humanity. I don't just care about this kind of U.S. San Francisco tech scene. I care about what its impact on humanity is. And so I have come here to talk to you. So that kind of like I'm engaged in conversation, I care about this, is the kind of reason in addition to a 51 c 3 emission structure and everything else, and so no, I'm I'm delighted with hope. I don't see how he's getting any work done with all these public <laughs> But I want to
5: change gears quickly. Uh, we're going to throw some Twitter polls up on the screen today, and we asked Twitter users where the greatest advancements in AI would come from. We'll see the results. But I want to ask about maybe Reed, starting with you. our, our the U.S.-China policy mm. of divestment is can can we reasonably hope that you know doing that. Would will uh, maybe prolong america 's advantage in AI is it is it a
4: smart strategy uh, i don 't think divestment is a smart strategy I think staying connected is better for both the US and China and the world um, I think competition is very good I think the fact that there 's various ways that we uh, in the US and the West Coast have a AI lead I think that 's a great thing for kind of the values of the ecosystem the kind of the the great world order that the U.S. should be very proud of in the last 70 years—of like there's lots of things to be critical of too, of course—but like as a really peaceful time, trying to make it business and interconnections a really good thing, and I, I'm a very strong uh, believer and proponent of that. But I think it divestment's not the yeah. not the end.
5: Mustafa, you write in the book that China has an explicit national strategy to be the AI leader by 2030. So do you agree with Reid that? withdrawal,
3: divestment is a, is a smart strategy? I mean, China is already ahead of its own schedule. I mean, it's publishing significantly more papers on AI than we are collectively in the rest of the world. So, you know, it, I, I do think that our export controls were effectively a declaration of economic war on China. They were very firm and very aggressive. And I think it sets us out on a a hyper-adversarial footing. They have a huge number of levers, too, and we should expect them to use them against us pretty soon, unfortunately.
6: So we talked a lot about regulation with Sam, and obviously President Biden was just in town here this week talking about AI. He met with, you know, the president and Sundar and Satya in um, D.C. What is the prospect for real government oversight that protects users? protects the economy and our political process.
4: So I, look, I think the good news is is that the administration is taking a very, let's learn how to be smart about this. Let's assemble a set of thoughtful people from industry. Uh, yesterday, assembling a, a thoughtful people from outside of industry, you know, academia, other kinds of places, we way doing it, and let's learn about it. I think they have um, a number of good people tasked with this. Um, and so I'm optimistic in that. But on the other hand, of course, a little bit like your interview with Sam, you know, uh, regulatory things is something that's very easy to get wrong, so you need to be cautious about how you do it. You you want it to be having a net positive impact, not, for example, regulatory capture, not a bunch of other things, and so I think you have to be careful about how you do it. I I think it's
3: worth adding that this time last year, almost no world leaders were talking about AI. Uh, I mean, I I don't think there has ever been a technology trajectory in history that has gone from zero recognition uh, to almost universal recognition. And that's a good thing. And I think it's in part because sort of we collectively in industry have been trying to advocate and say, like, this is really serious, we should pay attention and invite the conversation uh, wherever it ends up with respect to regulating existential risk or more near-term threats. Okay, I think we have to leave it there. Mustafa, <laughs> Reed, thank you guys for thank joining you. us. Great to see you guys. Great
0: Thanks a lot. Great to see great you. To Greylock partners, Reid Hoffman, Mustafa Suleiman, the co-founder and CEO of Inflection AI there, here at the Bloomberg Technology Summit in San Francisco. Caroline, so much to recap. What they kind of had in common was the idea that AI as a technology amplifies or reflects the user. And in mm. society, there are good people and there are bad people, but, but they, you know, they weren't tempted to give kind of the doomsday scenario that perhaps Sam Altman gave us earlier.
2: And also the EQ versus IQ. This is obviously the differentiating factor for Pi, what they're currently working on, and inflection. But notable that they don't feel that there's just one chatbot to rule us all, that ChatGPT isn't going to be the steadfast and only use case. And already we're discussing that. It feels like ChatGPT sort of sucked up all the oxygen. But we know there's Bard. We know that there's obviously all these other more focused, specific AI chatbots being developed, and some with perhaps more emotion than others, Ed.
0: Yeah, Mustafa Suleiman describing AI development as a meritocracy was interesting.
2: What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done.
7: Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you.
0: Let's get back to the Bloomberg Technology Summit, where Bloomberg's Brad Stone is on stage with the Amazon Web Services AWS CEO, Adam Selipsky.
8: Wow, I mean, uh, as you implied today, we are by, by far the most uh, broadly adopted uh, cloud in the world with uh, the broadest set of capabilities. And I, th- I think that uh, a generative AI is both, you know, an incredibly explosive and transformative set of technologies in, in and of itself, and it's fully dependent on the cloud to be successful. Right. So if you look at the massive amount uh, of, of compute that's required, never mind any other IT-related stuff, but just the massive amount of compute required, uh, that's going to happen really predominantly in the cloud. And companies are going to want to view generative AI as part of an entire data strategy and data platform. And you're going to want to do your generative AI you know where you've got your data. And you're also going to want the same uh, bulletproof enterprise security privacy that you expect from any other cloud service. And uh, because uh, so many customers and certainly more than on any other cloud, have that data on AWS, use AWS for security and operational excellence. Uh, I think that they, they're going to uh, justifiably demand that AWS uh, have a, a full, powerful uh, suite of generative AI services.
5: Okay, but do you need a popular LLM or an exclusive partner? running on AWS, as as it does
8: seem like Microsoft and Google have. I mean, I guess I'm asking, who's your horse in the race right now? Right, well, I think, um, uh, with all due respect, I think that's the wrong question. It would be like in 1997, when the Internet's happening and everything's kind of going nuts around us, you and I sitting around saying, who's the Internet company going to be? I mean, it kind of seems like a silly question, right? And by the way, the leading search company then was Alta Vista, and I guarantee you, my kids have never heard I love it. of Alta yeah. Vista. So it's not okay. We're, you're in a, we're, we're, we're who's ahead? Which runner is ahead in the race after three steps? Because it's a 10K race. You know, what everybody needs now is is experimentation. They need choice. They need democratization of generative AI. And just like AWS was founded to democratize IT, we aim to democratize generative AI. So we're we're operating at all layers of the stack. Uh, uh, We've had our own uh, custom chip program for a decade now, way longer than anybody else. And we have, you know, not one but two families of chips custom designed for machine learning. Tranium for training, and Inferentia for running inference. And then, and so those are for people who are gonna build models, train models. Then most of our customers will interact with Amazon Bedrock, which is a managed service for uh, accessing, deploying, managing uh, uh, models. And here's where the choice comes in. So we are going to have our own models, our own LLMs. So uh, Amazon models, uh, LLMs have been running in production inside of Amazon for a long time now. Uh, Parts of our retail search are powered by LLMs. uh, A lot of Alexa's voice responses are LLM-powered, and we're taking, right now, we're in the process of taking those LLMs, we're making them bigger, we're externalizing them, and later this year, those will be uh, exposed for everybody to use. And, that, and as a Titan? A and the Titan okay. exactly. Well, let me ask you, so maybe. But, t- but, and, yeah. but, but that, that's just one model, one set of models, I should say. We're also exposing anthropic inside of bedrock, stability AI, AI21, and I think a lot of others over time, because nobody knows, anybody who knows which model is going, to, is going to be the winner is asking the wrong question. People need to experiment. and We want to provide that choice. Okay, so pretend you're talking to a customer now.
5: Make the argument, why should they use Titan or one of these other LLMs you're exposing rather than GTP, GPT-4, which now does seem to have a
8: significant leadership position. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know which model they should use. It depends who they are and it depends what their application is. And some of them probably will want to use uh, GPT, and some of them will want to use Titan, and some of them will want to use uh, Anthropic, and I I think it's preposterous to me to think that, uh, that one model or one company is going to be the solution for every application and every company out there. So we're already seeing this heterogeneity, so we're seeing an explosion of interest in Bedrock and Amazon's generative AI capabilities. Just this morning, Omnicom, one of the largest advertising communications firms in the world, announced they're working with AWS using Bedrock as well as our our custom chips inside of our compute capacity to do generative AI going forward. Uh, earlier this week, BBVA, one of the largest financial services firms in the world, announced they're working with Amazon on a generative AI you know, with, with Bedrock. And it's that, it's that choice combined with the enterprise security and privacy which I think are so fundamental. I, I can
5: uh, humbly admit, as a journalist covering tech for way too long, that... In the fall, I was surprised by not only the quality of ChatGPT, but the customer response to this new wave of technology. Were you surprised?
8: Well, I I think that, uh, I mean, uh, folks working in in this area in AI uh, have known about large language models for a long time. And very few uh, companies have more experience with AI than Amazon. I mean, 1998, personalization on the Amazon website, that was AI. Okay, still. Called AI. SageMaker, 2017, now used by over 100,000 AWS customers. Most machine learning in the cloud, any cloud, Happens on SageMaker, so we have a lot of experience with a lot of people working on LLMs. I think the whole world was surprised that when 3.5 came out, it was such a dramatic uh, improvement in responses. Not perfect by any means, but a dramatic improvement in responses over over 3.0. So I think that was the surprise, but not not the overall uh, arc. But the the uh, the good news for our customers is that you know, we have deep, deep expertise in AI, We've been working on different forms of it for a long time, and are now you know, uh, pouring enormous resources into the generative part of AI. Okay, I'll, I'll give this up after this, I promise. But would you
5: concede that Amazon's playing a little bit from behind right now?
8: No, I really don't think so. I mean, uh, again, it's the race analogy of like, just, is, are we really going to have a conversation about three steps into a 10K race? You know, who's in what position? It's about the long term. Amazon has always taken a much more long term view of the world than almost any other company. I think the key is we're building in multiple layers of the stack because we understand that's what customers need. We're also building applications on top of these models. So we've released Code Whisperer, which is a coding companion on top of the Amazon uh, LLMs, and and that's you know you type in words, it gives you back code. Uh, In internal tests, uh, kind of coding challenges, uh, developers finish their task on average 57% faster than those not using Code Whisperer. Plus it's very uh, secure, private, tells you what open source you're using and what licensing restrictions there might be on it, which not every other solution out there does. So I think we're, we're very confident. If you look at the thing which, the only thing which ought to give us confidence is customer response. I mentioned Omnicom, I mentioned BBVA this week. Old Mutual, which is one of the largest financial services companies in Africa, is going all in on AWS and using us for generative AI. And really exciting developments to come. We're talking to one company who has millions of lines of mainframe code. And they're talking to us about you know, moving over these really gnarly mainframe applications and millions of lines of code Using a generative AI from, from 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 AWS, so I think you know it's it's the this this consumer application, this chat application, which is so easy for folks to understand because they can say, "Give me a haiku about you know farm machinery," and it does it. That's, That's the key. Cool. The haikus. <laughs> It's cool, but uh, you know, what I think folks in this room and watching online understand is that there is a full suite of enterprise and uh, company and organizational applications and there's gonna be huge needs there. And so you know we're gonna be focused on customer service and on coding and on drug discovery and on uh, wealth management, providing better solutions for customers and a full suite of applications across every industry and I think we're very well positioned there. And, and feel like you have or are close to having a Gpt4 quality model running on AWS uh, all of the the, the tests that we 've done as well as more and more customers who are in the, uh, who are in the, the, the existing current pr- preview of bedrock. Uh, have, have been very impressed with the quality of uh, of our models and of course again it's not just about our models we we're, we're going to be proud of our models I predict but uh, anthropic does an amazing job and they're you know right up there in quality with any model in the world stability ai big leader for generating uh, for, for models generating images so collectively i think these models will provide absolutely you know the best uh, destination all with a consistent api set Uh, consistent AWS security, consistent identity system, all in a private, isolated, virtual private cloud. None of this, hey, here's an application, and now you have to have a bunch of uh, Fortune 500 CIOs uh, ban it from their companies, which is what's happened. You know, from day one, it's always gonna be AWS-class security.
5: OK, I want to put a slide up uh, showing a Bloomberg Intelligence estimate on uh, projected uh, generative AI revenues over the next, I think it's maybe 10, or yeah, five, se- uh-huh. seven or eight years.: I' not seen. seen. And who okay. knows what you know about the, the numbers that far out, but it's up and to the right. And I, I just can imagine a lot of financial types who are out there,, you know, looking at Amazon's numbers and wondering how much of a, a sales tailwind this will be for AWS. So what, what can you tell us about, uh, you know, you mentioned it's so computationally intensive, what you see the impact being for AWS?
8: Uh, well, it's, it's, it's really early, so, you know, I, I think prognostication is fun and, and probably important at the end of the day, but I think it's also important to be humble and to be nimble, anything ending in ill. Uh. And, and to understand that we're going to have to all adjust rapidly. And, uh, but that being said, uh, I think that, well look, I don't think any of the fundamentals about cloud computing have changed. And probably, who knows, call it 10% of IT has moved to the cloud. So we're still very, very early. And whether you're talking about you know, any application, there's still you know, massive runway for things to move to the cloud. And we, are, we firmly believe that they will. On top of that, I think that generative AI is, is going to be you know, the next kind of massive increase in workloads you know, moving to the cloud, or, or in many cases happening for the first time and happening in the cloud. And so I do think that it should be a significant tailwind for cloud providers, and particularly for, for AWS, given our, our leadership position. Uh, obviously we need to come out with the capabilities, the services that uh, you know, justify uh, people using us for the, the purpose, but I, I think if we, uh, you know, if we do a good job of listening to customers, it should provide significant demand for, for years to come. I mean, the computational requirements are, are, are so intense and one thing which also, I think, works in favor of, uh, of AWS is that a lot of people are asking about, hey, what about the energy consumption? You know, what about sustainability? And you run those efforts inside Amazon. Yeah, I mean, I, I also run sustainability. It's kind of the other thing I do inside of Amazon. And, you know, we as a company and I personally care a lot about sustainability. And people say, well, you know, is this generative AI, massive compute, is that incompatible? Yeah, are we going backwards? It being sustainable? Well, no, we're not because, uh, n- number one, these workloads, you know, there's, there's no putting the G- back in the bottle. So generative AI is going to happen. So let's make it happen in a highly energy efficient and sustainable way. So if you look at our, um, the, uh, our custom chips that we design, um, if you take Graviton for example, which is our, our oldest chip family, uh, Graviton is 60% more energy efficient than equivalent uh, x86-based uh, compute capacity. And if you look at uh, an enterprise just in general, never mind generative AI, just moving from their own data centers to the cloud, to AWS, uh, there was a study done uh, showing that uh, AWS is 3.6 times more energy efficient than the average enterprise data center in the United States. So we are the sustainable place. We're doing it through a whole series of technological improvements, plus a commitment which we're 85% of the way there already to be 100% renewable energy by 2025, which is just around the corner. Right. You guys had, a, had another commitment called Shipment
5: Zero, which was a, 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 a net carbon zero commitment by 2030, which you guys, I guess, maybe scrapped or you took off the website. My, my, yeah, as a longtime Amazon watcher, my, my heart just kind of sank because you guys have been so prominent about these goals. I guess the question is, like, have these commitments become harder to meet than they were to make?
8: Well, I think your heart should be sinking at the, the, the state of global warming. The state well, of the planet, it certainly is. Because yeah. mine is. Uh, and we should all be concerned about that. But I think your heart should be singing at the leadership position that Amazon is trying to establish and at the improvements we're trying to make and at the very public goals we've set. So why so, did you remove that particular commitment? So, Well, we, because we, it's subsumed really in a much broader, bolder commitment. We made a very public pledge to be net zero carbon, across all of Amazon, not just AWS, all of Amazon by 2040, which is 10 years ahead of the Paris Accords. Now, for a technology company like AWS, I won't say it's easy, but it's, it's doable. So you'll hear that from other tech companies. For a big retailer with air freight and inbound transportation and stores and packaging, it is actually really, really hard. And we'll be the first to say, we don't know how we're gonna get there in all dimensions. I can tell you how we're gonna get there in renewable energy. I can't tell you how we're gonna get there in all elements of transportation and packaging and and, and buildings. But we're an innovative company. We take bold long-term bets. And we made this pledge publicly, not privately in order to, number one, you know, have a forcing function for ourselves, because it's not easy, and also because we want to inspire other organizations, governments, companies, to join us. We have over 400 signatories now of the climate pledge that's growing every month, and it's not a competition against other organizations. It's, it's competition against the thermometer, and frankly, I want other people to out-innovate us. I want to be beaten, if you will, in the, uh, in the race to, to become sustainable. And hopefully we can be inspired by things that other people are doing. So, of course, we adjust our goals over time, but the thing I would focus on is this audacious goal to be net zero carbon by 2040. And that's a line in the sand. I mean, even as things like
5: generative AI take more and more computational resources, even as you get more efficient with compute,
8: that's a commitment that you you can hold firm on even if you don't know how you're going to get there. We have made a public pledge. We intend on getting there. But there are lots of other uh, pro- areas of progress we're making in the interim. So, for example, if you take packaging for the retail business, uh, the, the the average packaging per shipment has decreased by 38 percent since 2015. Um, so, which is another example of it can be sustainable and good for our business. You know, it's lower cost for us and it's much more sustainable for the planet. And anytime anytime you create a win-win like that, it just works for everybody and becomes, you know, a a really sustainable business proposition. Uh, Let's
5: get back to to AI and let me ask you about Alexa. I know it's slightly out of your purview, but Alexa runs in your servers. Can Alexa be a generative AI play? Should it be?
8: Uh, Alexa's already, as I mentioned, already powered in large part by LLMs that Amazon built and have been in production for a while now. And I think that uh, uh, she's only going to get smarter and better and more personalized uh, as the uh, LLM technology expands and, and improves. It feels to me as a longtime user,
5: and my wife who's here knows I populated her house with them at one point, it, but today it feels, as does Siri, frankly, a step behind, is that... Would you agree with
8: that? No, I I think that uh, Alexa, well, I I use Alexa in my house. I mean, you know, I guess we all have different strokes for different folks, and and we love Alexa. And and I like to think she loves us. Um, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Although if you ask her that, she won't actually tell you yes. and uh, I think Alexa's been getting better and better, you know, more skills, better skills, uh, more understanding of, uh, of you and your, your, your likes and, dis- and dislikes and your habits. And I think that uh, the, the rapid improvements that we're making in generative AI are truly going to uh, continue to transform Alexa into you know, a, a, a truly you know, personalized uh, assistant. And we do want Alexa to be you know, a, an absolutely indispensable, best in the world you know, personal assistant to you. And I think that We've got a lot of work to do, Um, I'll leave it to the Alexa folks to fill in all of those blanks over time, but we're actually very confident in in that plan and very optimistic about Alexa being able to fulfill that role in people's lives that I think they're they're really going to love.
5: I want to get to two more in the two minutes we have left. Uh, Your boss and predecessor, Andy Jassy, has been kind of cutting some of the big bets at Amazon, but one that he hasn't cut is the satellite plan Kuiper, and I just wonder you know, what you see as the opportunity, considering a rival system, Starlink from Tesla, it does seem to be you know operational and quite far ahead.
8: Well, we're very optimistic about Kuiper. There's huge interest from governments, from enterprises, from lots of other organizations. Uh, billions of people around the world are underserved uh, with, for internet. And you know, Kuiper really aims to democratize that, there's a theme here, to democratize that and provide great internet service to, uh, to so many billions of underserved people. In addition, uh, whether it's automobile companies, uh, uh, telecommunications companies, lots of other enterprises who are AWS customers, governments, they want, especially from remote locations, to be able to backhaul information up to Kuiper, back into the AWS cloud. And so I, I think as we launch our first satellites, you know, Which we're coming is Months, uh, later this year, and then uh, uh, really ramping up in 2024 and, and 2025 is my understanding. And uh, uh, but then be, being in service in that time frame initially, and being able to uh, deliver that for AWS customers is uh, yeah. is, is huge. Um, before we go, I do just want to I do just want to uh, uh, remind folks that just today this morning, uh, AWS has launched its 100 million dollar. Uh, generative AI innovation center where we're going to be going out to all those customers around the world, enterprises, with expertise, free AWS expertise, solutions architects, uh, engineers, uh, strategists, uh, and working with them one-on-one to envision design and then actually so that implement million. AI, generative AI capabilities, not talk, but actual so applications. So that's discounts for, for new companies or? Yeah we're gonna we're just gonna we're just gonna bring our internal AWS experts you know free of charge to a whole bunch of AWS uh, customers. Uh, you know, focusing on folks with, with, with uh, a significant AWS uh, presence and go help them turbocharge their efforts to get real with generative AI, get beyond the talk. All right, last one in negative 10 seconds, so I guess it's got to be a quick one. You and Andy are both in
5: the same situation. You're the, you're the guy after the guy, the founder, whose name was synonymous with the early stage of uh, legendary growth. So what, is, what do you want Adam's
8: AWS legacy to be? I don't think I don't really think of it in personal terms. So to be honest with you, so I, I don't have a canned answer. But uh, I, I will say that you know I would love it if um, uh, if I could be known to. Really help drive a, a business that is, you know, constantly, no matter how big it gets, no matter how far flung it gets, puts customers at the very center of what we're doing. Always puts customers' interests, you know, before anybody else's interests. Yet at the same time, is an is an empathetic, you know, equitable, fun, and innovative place for employees to work. All right, Adam Philipsky, thank you for joining us. Thank you.
2: Amazon Web Services CEO Adam Slipsky there in conversation with Bloomberg's Brad Stone and highlighting some of the news that has just come out. Of course, the fact that Amazon is spending $100 million to teach cloud clients about AI He's saying to get real, basically. Some of the early stage clients are going to be high spot Twilio. They're going to be really using some of these customized applications and understanding how to get this expertise to ensure that they're adopting generative AI at the rapid rate. But we heard there from Adam Slipsky also about the focus on being carbon neutral, a focus on Of course, climate and how you twin that with the enormous compute power that is necessary as we dive into the whole world of large language models of more generative AI, the chips necessary, the compute power, and ultimately what that affects the climate. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works – Across 500,000 apps and websites, plus it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done.
7: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
8: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
2: Conversation just keeps going. We're going to talk chips next. Newberg Technology Summit is with our very own Ed Ludlow, sitting down with Qualcomm President and CEO, Cristiano Amon.
0: The question, is Qualcomm an AI company? Look, this is a,
9: this is a great question to ask. And, um, you know, it's, it's incredible to see all of the development you see right now on, on AI, here's, here's how I answered that question. Actually, it's very simple. Uh, if you think about the uh, AI, when you think about semiconductors, really accelerating computing, right? You do a lot of computation and um, what we see, what you can do with those large language models, uh, large models for images and video. So if you think about the history of computing, Computing starts in the cloud and it gets scale at the edge. I think that's that's what happens with CPUs. Yes. Uh, that's that's what happens uh, uh, with all other form of computing. And I think the smartphone is a great example of that. Um, if you look, the largest computing platform uh, ever developed is the smartphone right now. It's the largest development platform for mankind. And and what is good about the smartphone? It's uh, it's a device that I'm with you all the time. So if AI becomes pervasive, which we believe it will become pervasive, especially when you look about how those uh, large models, they are very natural, how you, uh, you can converse with them, you, they have contextual information and all of those things. That's gonna happen at the edge. So ha- that's how you should think about Qualcomm. If AI is gonna get scale, you're gonna see it running on Qualcomm Snapdragon devices, whether it's in your phone, in your car, in your PC
0: and into other machines, and I think well, that's a great opportunity if for if the us. future is to democratize access to artificial intelligence tools, generative AI tools, and Qualcomm's going to make that happen, Why are you not getting like Jensen-Huang-level love, Luciano?
9: Look, I think think what's happening right now, and by the way, it's great for the semiconductor industry, for anybody that has been on the forefront of computing. You know, Qualcomm probably used to be well-known as a communication company, but actually, if you look at what we do right now, it's more of a connected processor company than communication. And as those models started to become very popular, uh, they're gonna be running at the edge, and I expect that AI becomes an option on Qualcomm right now. And look, and I'll give you an example. it's, I saw something that Adam said, I think in the prior conversation when he said something about it. in 1997, if you try to guess who are the winners and losers on the internet, it would be probably a very wild guess. I think what we see today is this genitive AI opportunity is huge. We don't know yet all of the different applications that are going to come up. We're seeing that just, just within the past six months is a revolution the number of companies coming with use cases. And those use cases are going to happen on devices,
0: and I think that's going to be a great opportunity for Hold that thought. What we're going to do now, I'm going to show you something to the audience here and, and those with us virtually. But during that, think about questions for Cristiano based on what you see. And so with that, let's bring up the video. And Cristiano, when it comes up and plays, explain to us a little bit what it is that we're seeing. Because here at the Bloomberg Technology Summit, we're gonna nail the technology any second. Just, just wait, the video is gonna come. And when it does, it will have been worth the wait. Here we go.
9: Yes, so what you basically see is a control net demo. You have an input image on your phone. You tell, in your input prompt, what do you want the image to be? You want it to make it a masterpiece, look like Venice canals, 4K, and it just runs and, and gives you this very unique image, image to image. That's never been created before, created to AI, running on your phone. So it's a good, I think, uh, time to talk a little bit about how we think about AI at the edge, outside the data center. Because I've, like we have seen everywhere, there's going to be this huge opportunity for the cloud, but it's going to be this huge opportunity for devices. Because what you do on the device is very different. So there's, there's a number of reasons why this is going to be very popular on the device. First, the device has contextual information about you and has real-time information, like a picture you just took, uh, and you want it right now, at that moment, change that picture and share with somebody else with your you know, messaging platform. For
0: context, that video, that device was run in aeroplane mode without any external connection, right? It ran the model locally on device.
9: Absolutely. So that's one of the reasons. You have real-time contextual information. There's another reason... Uh, Processing on the phone is virtually free. Uh, when you think about you running those models in the cloud and and think about a large language model for every token like a word as the sentence if you do that if you have an experiment that you see the words coming
2: up the president and ceo of Qualcomm Cristiano Amon talking with our very own Ed Ludlow of course discussing how Qualcomm is going to be playing a role in the enormous scope of generative AI edge computing of course the chips that are known to be in your iPhones and your phones and in your automobiles. Well, of course, Qualcomm wants to ensure that you're accessing generative AI in local ways and means.
1: The countdown has begun.